Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And this has kind of been stirring in my heart uh, the last few days. It actually started uh, Monday morning with a conversation with Pastor Chris and his daughter Victoria. I was meeting with them at lunch, and they're getting ready for an event, and we're just getting my two cents for whatever that's worth uh, about the event and just wanting to go in prepared. And so I was just sitting down talking with them and some things just that we were talking about just came up. They're getting ready for testing, the students are. And Lake City, is that right? Or Live Oak, Lake City. Lake City Middle School. Is that tomorrow? Tomorrow morning, they're gonna go down there and do an assembly with them, trying to help motivate and prep them for next week with testing. And, and we were just talking, and I was like, you know, we have these tests. You know, high school is not the only time you're tested. Middle school or school in general is not the only time you're tested. We, have, we are all enduring tests. And, 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 you know, I was thinking of that, and I was like, man, we, we need this kind of message all the time, not just to get from the 10th grade to the 11th grade, but I need it to get from faith to faith. I need it to get from glory to glory. I want to continue to grow uh, in my walk with the Lord and continue to develop. Uh, but, you know, we made a statement. We were talking, and uh, we, we made this statement that kind of got me in this direction, this vein that's kind of just been sitting on me, that testing doesn't come to keep you from something. Testing is designed to get you to something. I told, I told Pastor Chris, I said, you need to let them know these teachers aren't testing them to keep them stuck in the eighth grade. That teacher does not want to see that student again next year. <laughs> Isn't that right, Chase? I do not repeat my class. Get out of here. I've had nine months with you. I'm ready for, no, they are testing you so that you can advance, not stay stuck. But so many times we avoid, we resist, we push back, we, we, we try to get around testing and challenges in life. I mean, even, and, 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 you know, been inundated with these, the last several days with these things that were rising up in, in, in our family members, in our church members. And, um, you know, as a pastor, you carry that weight. Uh, and I know many of the other individuals that have reached out in contact, which by the way, just, just so you know, we're on top of it. And, and we've got team leaders. We've got individuals that are reaching. You don't have to walk out of here and text and email and Facebook and all that. They're, they're, doing, they're doing great. And our church has a great uh, uh, system and plan. I mean, if the Lord puts something on your heart, great. Uh, I can tell you right now uh, uh, with Van Murphy's situation, he can't see anybody. He's in straight up rehab and therapy and he cannot have that compromised at this time. Um, but, uh, you know, different thing. We, we, we're... We're, we're on top of it as a church. So don't feel like you have to, oh, I need to reach out or do this or that. Um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll reach out if we need to do meal trains or, you know, have people reach out and help them. But they, they are definitely covered in love, covered in prayer, covered in support. So know that. But with that, you know, as a pastor, you, you, you carry these burdens and carry, you feel the weight that, that's, that's part of that shepherding. And um, 
But it's, it's, it, I, I told Kara today in the hospital, I said, it's not until you're challenged that you know what you have. It's not until you're tested that you know. That's why they test you to advance you from one thing to the next. Because if you don't know two plus two, you can't do two times two. It's, it's necessary. There are, there are fundamental elementary basics that have to be in place that you have to, that you have to be certain of if we want to advance. And many times we want advancement without challenge. We want to play in the Super Bowl, but we haven't practiced. Okay, so we, we've got to, here's the thing, guys. If you don't properly have a, a, a perspective, a biblical perspective of testing, trials, challenges, struggles, you will not live victorious. You will not, I can promise you. With, with an incorrect view of how the tests and trials uh, operate in our lives. And there's, there's ditches on both sides. There's the ditch that, you know, God is testing us and God is bringing this on us. to, And, and that's a ditch that's, that's false and incorrect. It's unbiblical. And, and God does not put anything on us to, he will allow things. But then there's the other side that, you know, a victorious believer's lifestyle, the, the, the you know, uh, lack of trials and just this carefree, uh, whimsical, everything's just always going right is also a false, unbiblical image of uh, Jesus didn't promise his disciples that kind of life at all. Now, faith overcomes, but if, if there's no test, what are you overcoming? <laughs> yeah, people want victory without a war. Well, then what are you defeating? What are you overcoming? What are you winning? So we have to understand this in a healthy way. And I, I feel like this is going to be a series and we'll just see, uh, you know, how God leads us. But here in James chapter one, let's look at what the word says. You've heard enough of what I have to say. Look at, look at what the Bible says. James chapter one, look at verse two, my brethren. So who's he talking to? The church, us, believers, brethren, however you want to define that. But it's my brethren. Count it all joy. How much? All. And you look that up in the Greek, it's defined all. All is all. There's only one way to, 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 to determine that, to define that. Count it all. What? Joy. Joy. Joy and happiness are different. Okay? We'll, we'll get into that. But joy is not just a whimsical emotion. It's not just putting a smile on your face. Joy is a position. Happiness is an emotion. But joy is a position. I don't have to be happy to be in joy. Come on now. So he says, count it all joy, the good stuff and the bad stuff. When it goes your way, when it doesn't go your way. When you're seeing the result and when you're processing through the result. Count it all joy when you what? Fall into various trials. Now, nobody intentionally falls. So he's talking about the things that happen in life that maybe we don't understand. The things that happen in life, even when you're doing everything right, but then challenge still shows up. Come on. Sometimes we, we want to position ourselves so much that we don't have to use faith. 
right? If I made enough money, then I wouldn't have to believe God for my, this is how much I need, God. And if you can give me this on a monthly basis, then I don't need to trust you anymore. No, when you fall into that, you're talking about things that, that show up, trip you up, uh, uh, try to, to, to pull you off of the plan of God, the, 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 the purpose of God, the direction. When you fall into various trials, different types of things that come. And again, you, you've heard me say this before, you know, many times we want to count it all joy when we come out of various trials. But he says to count it joy when? When you go in. Anybody can count it all joy when you come out. Anybody can rejoice and throw their hands in the air when the doctor comes in and says, we can't find cancer in your body at all. But can you rejoice and throw your hands and praise God when they come in and say, we got five weeks? This is the reality of what this verse is stating. This is the reality. And so he says to count it all joy when you fall into, when you go into the trial. And a lot of times how you go into it will determine how you come out of it. Now you can figure it out along the way and, and let, let's hope and, and, and believe God that we will. But, but this is how he's trying to set you up for when the trial comes. That, that, look at this, we're not reacting to trials. I don't react. This is not a reactive position. If I'm proactively stating, all right, when they come, and I can assure you they will come, when they come, this is how we go into it. This is how we address it. Well, then there's nothing reactive about it. Now you're not reacting Amen? I don't want to react to trials. That's when the trial gets to manage me instead of me managing the trial. No, I want to go in proactively knowing, okay, when a test comes, when a struggle shows up, when a negative report comes, this is how I will face it. Now, naturally speaking, there's obviously going to be automatic impulses. There's going to be reactions. There's going to be fear. There's going to be, be being scared, uh, believing the worst, thinking the worst. But that's the stuff you have to shut down. You have to take those thoughts captive, the Bible says. Okay? If the enemy defeats you in your mind, he will defeat you in your life. In fact, he has to defeat you in your mind before he defeats you in your life. He doesn't have access to your life if you're bought by the blood, if you are uh, redeemed. But he has an open door access to your mind. This is interesting. Both the devil and God have to go through your mental capacity to operate in your life. If you don't give them access through the mind, either renewing the mind to the word or shutting the mind off to the world or to the enemy or to those reports, then whoever has your mind has your life. Okay? So attacks start showing up in your marriage. Uh, attacks start showing up in your finances. Things start happening in your body. Doctors start giving reports, whatever the case is, whatever the challenge is, uh, various trials. It, it's the mind where that battle takes place now. And so what you surround yourself with usually determines what you fill yourself with. What you're keeping around you is usually what's 
What's going in is coming out, guys. Okay? So he's saying, count it all joy. That's packed. Those four words are, are jam-packed, so we want to know how to do that. But, but here he shows us the approach. Here's the approach in verse 3. Knowing that, the testing of your what? The testing of your what? You got to get this now. It's not testing you. It's testing your faith. It's not testing you. It's testing your faith. The enemy could care less about you, but he's after your faith. He's after your faith. He's after your faith. I mean, when Jesus returns in the earth, what does the Bible say? That he's gonna look to and fro. And what's he looking for? Faith. Will there be any, will I find any faith in the earth? God is very interested in faith, but so is the devil. The devil's very interested in your faith level. We're Anchor Faith Church. That's, we talk a lot about faith. I feel like a lot of times these Wednesdays kind of come back to that and, and, and maybe we'll change the name of our Wednesday nights and call them faith lessons or something. I don't know. But, but faith is always ultimately got to be built up. You've got to give attention. You don't accidentally build your faith. <laughs> You know, oh man, look at that. I just believe in God so much. I mean, just, you know, it's just flowing. No, you give intention to it. You can lose your faith accidentally, but you can't build it. Nobody accidentally gets stronger. Nobody accidentally loses weight. No, these things require attention. Got to be intentional. About it, you have to have an intention behind building your faith, strengthening your faith. Why? So I can count it all joy, because how I go in can determine how I come out. So, he says that the that the testing of your faith. Now, that word test, uh, actually, the Greek word here in the New Testament is the word prove. Prove. Well, think about it. You can't prove it until you're tested in it. Prove that you know. Prove. And, and this was what came up, and, 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 and Victoria made this comment. She said that she was reading a book, and, and they were coming to find out that most believers, most Christians, don't really have a strong faith in what they say they believe because we live in a world that's too comfortable and convenient to, feed, to, to give us this complex that we believe in something and they allow us to believe it. It's not until conflict and challenge arises that you know what you have. It's not until it's put on the line and says, okay, do you believe this? It's not until, I mean, there, there are people, you know, in the Middle East still today losing their heads for the gospel of Christ. They have to, Come to that, they have to have that conviction. But to be convicted of something means there has to be a conflict. There has to be something that says, prove to me that this is what you believe. Not just what you say. The world's not interested in what we say. They're interested in what we do. They're interested in what we do. 
So this, we're talking about a faith. We're talking about, you know, how we operate and go through trials and challenges and struggles. We're, we're talking about how we face these things, not just in our verbiage, not just in our vocabulary, but in our actions, in our choices. Go with me to John chapter 2. We'll see this in action a little bit. It, this story might not seem like it fits, but let's let the Holy Spirit dissect it and see what we can draw out of it. John chapter 2 is the story of when Jesus turned water into wine. And I think that there are some points that we can look at here that can help us understand how we face challenges. In John chapter 2 and starting with verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And historians believe, people much smarter than, than me, uh, believe that this was possibly a family member, uh, a family member's wedding that they were at. And it says that both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now she's just making a statement. They have no wine. There's your challenge. There's your problem. See, I mean, you can't have a challenge without a problem, right? Can't have conflict without something to solve. You can't have a trial without something to overcome. You've got to have that, that uh, uh in fact, I, was, I heard somebody made this comment about storytelling and about movies, uh, that every single movie, the underlying story in almost every single movie, and I started thinking, man, every movie I thought about followed this, this premise that every single movie is really a story of good versus bad. Every, every there, there's, a, there's a good side and a bad side, and who will win out? and the, the conflict that happens. So, so there's, you, you, we, we cannot live a victorious life void of trials that demand us to overcome them. Got to get this across now. And so we have the trial. The trial is they have no wine. That's a problem at a wedding at the, in this day. Verse four, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, again, historians believe, since this is a family member's wedding, that they had responsibilities at this wedding. So she wasn't necessarily pulling on his supernatural ability and thinking, the son of God is here. <laughs> we have God in the flesh. This is no problem. He can do something. No, she's literally just asking Jesus to find out how to get more. Natural, using natural means. Hey, help out, ultimately. Because Jesus has not started his ministry at this point. Jesus has not done any miracles at this point. This is the first miracle. It's really more of a magic trick, but we'll find out why it's a miracle here at the end. But... Really, this doesn't fall in line with raising people from the dead, casting out devils, uh, you know, curing leprosy. This is more of like, look what I can do, water, wine. 
So we go on and, and he says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? You know, and I just, stopping on that point just got me thinking. I wonder if I live with so much purpose in my life that other people come to me to solve problems they can't figure out. They see something in me that says, you can do this. I mean, I feel like as believers, we should be solving problems that the world has no idea what to do with. In government, in business, in entertainment, in economics, in media, they're waiting. The Bible says in Romans chapter eight, we heard about the sons of God on Sunday. The Bible says that the world is groaning and crying out for the revelation of the sons of God. You know what that tells me? Sons of God are rare. They're, cry, they're crying out for a rare form of breed. They're crying out for something that they don't see all the time. But man, when they see it, it stands out. And it's like David showing up on the battlefield where all these guys could have fought this giant at any time. They're God's people just as much as he is. But David says, what are y'all doing? Let's go take this guy out. But then what was their response to David? What are you doing here, shepherd boy? Give me my Lunchable and get out of here. Give me my cheese and crackers and get back to feeding sheep. Right? But no, people with purpose show up in the middle of problems and they recognize that the problem is the very reason why they exist. They don't complain about it. They don't just talk about it. They don't just find problems. They don't go talking to other people about the problems. They find solutions. They're problem solvers. And we as believers should be problem solvers. I don't, I don't go through life saying, no problem. No, I identify the problem because until I recognize the problem, I can't find a solution. Yeah, that's a problem. That's an issue, but we've got an answer. Come on, why are we walking through life without answers? Why are we walking through life going through the same struggles, same Why does the divorce rate in the church the same as it is in the world, as it is in America, as it is? Why are we, why are we still trying to solve things in our, we've got the answer. No, we gotta be problem solvers. And so she turns to Jesus and he, he clearly states, what does your concern but this is the boldness that we have to rise up with in the last days is even when it doesn't directly affect us. We can't put on the, well, I'm going to heaven. This is your problem. Well, I'm saved. You're going to have to deal with that. No, no, no. Because you're around it, you can affect it. Because you're in it, you can do something about it. Amen. And so Jesus, you know, initially says, why does your... Concern, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Just do it, Nike, just do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone. And I love that it explains what kind of water pots they were because it tells us that these were just common, ordinary water pots. This was just the normal stuff that people would have seen sitting around, would have never thought that it could produce anything that they needed. And so it's just these common, ordinary water pots of stone. And they are uh, uh, 
sitting there according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to your master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, uh, you have kept the good wine until now. And it goes on to say, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested, here it is, his glory. And his disciples believed in him. What was the real result that everybody was able to continue to get drunk and wasted at this wedding? No, the real result is that those that were around him that were now about to follow him on this adventure of his now believe in him. Now they have, okay, that's what this guy is all about. And now they can stay with him and stand behind him even when the challenges that they're about to face start to come against them. So let's break this down. First thing we see, is that we have a challenge, right? Here's our problem, no wine. That is our struggle. And so this issue of having no wine is, is no different than, than, it might not seem like it bears on the same playing field, but just go with me. It, 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 it's, it's the report from the doctor. It's the not enough money. It, it's the things that, that we fall into the various trials. We have a challenge. And this is the thing is many times we want to attempt to solve a new challenge with old methods. Because the easiest method would have been to go out and get some more. And that's ultimately what, the, what Mary, mother of Jesus, is asking him to do. She's not asking him to miraculously make wine appear. He hasn't done one, he hasn't even give us, she gave birth a, a baseline of expectation of what to believe. She gave birth to him, but she doesn't fully know what is in him. She doesn't fully know what he's capable of doing. Why? Because problems prove potential. Problems prove potential. I can't even show you what I'm capable of until I'm placed in an environment that draws out the potential. Come on. So many times we want to play it safe and use old methods because it's what we're familiar with. We want to use old methods because it's what we know. We want to use old methods because my potential was drawn out last time and that's what I was able to do then. So that must be my baseline for how I can do it every time. But here's the thing. Jesus says in another passage that you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. You'll burst them both. There's going to be challenges and situations and struggles you face that are going to demand that you hear from the Holy Spirit on how to proceed. How many times do we want to live void 
of the Holy Spirit. I was actually just meeting with a pastor yesterday. Yesterday afternoon, sat in his office for about three hours, and we we're just talking about some, some things, some challenges, cultural challenges that, that the church faces. And, um, you know, he, he responded about how I expected him to respond. Pastor's a much larger church and, and has, has, has been in ministry much longer than I. I always want to grow. I, I just want to glean, grow, and I don't have any limitation on who I can learn from, grow from, glean from. I'm just a learner. That's just me. And so, uh, you know, he responded about how I expected him to respond. And it was, I wasn't going in for answers. I was going in for conversation. It's amazing how many things you can learn when you shut up and just listen. Just hear other people out. And so uh, he, he said, you know, I'll be honest, I, I don't have any answers. I said, yeah, I'm not looking for answers. I'm just looking for conversation. But he made this statement. He said, you know, honestly, uh, to continue to do what you and I do, we just have to have the Holy Spirit help, the Holy Spirit's help. There's just no way around it. And you can go to every conference. You can take as many notes. You can listen to as many people. You can download all the podcasts. You can do, what, you can do all the natural best practices. At the end of the day, if we're void of, of, of the Holy Spirit operating, working in our lives, speaking into our lives, we're missing the most massive component to overcoming and seeing victory, however God would see fit to bring that victory in our lives. You know what the outcome is. You know what the goal is you're going for. But when we pray for these individuals in the hospital, we know what we're believing for. That's not changing. But are we being sensitive to how the Holy Spirit would direct us? What method would he have us use? And I can't just refer back to past experience. Well, this is how I did it. This is what I did last time. I heard some pastor uh, was going through that, and this is what he did. It doesn't work that way. Well, he was healed in three weeks. I, I mean, and then we put these parameters on, and then when God doesn't meet our agenda, <laughs> our discouragement, you know, disappointment is the result of unmet expectation. God, I expect you to heal me in three weeks like pastor so-and-so. I did everything he did. Right? That's what Naaman expected. Naaman, he had it all planned out. He said it with his mouth. I'm going to drive on down here. I'm going to give this guy all kinds of clothes and money. He's going to come out. He's going to greet me. He's going to wave his hand. That's what the Bible literally says. He's going to wave his hand. I guess he's going to see Benny Hinn or something. He's going to wave his hand over me, and I'm going to be healed. And? The servant comes out. Uh, yeah, he said he just hit that uh, dirty pond out there on the way back. You'll be good. Hit it seven times. Which was actually simpler than his whole plan. <laughs> right? We talked about that earlier this year. Sometimes it's not that God is asking too much of us. Sometimes it's that he's asking too little of us. And that's beyond me. I couldn't do that. God, I want to do great things for you. No, I just need you to ask that person for forgiveness. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, they should be asking me for forgiveness. Then you'll stay sick. 
and his stripes, you're healed. It's provided for. It's available. And we'll continue to walk subpar below the standard that God has declared for us because we won't follow instructions. We don't follow what the Holy Spirit is saying. And we want God to bless our agenda instead of saying, what do I need to do to get this right? I just want to be right. Because I know my potential is on the other side of this problem. Right? Your blessing is on the other side of the problem. But you know what else is on the other side of the problem? Your development. Your growth. Uh, It could be your character could be on the other side of that challenge. Right? Stronger faith is on the other side of that challenge. Maybe a deeper love walk. I can tell you right now, those that have operated in offense and gotten sick and then corrected their course, they love everybody. <laughs> they, are, they are making sure I never get offended with anybody ever again for the rest of my life. Am I right about that? What was on the other side of the challenge? A better love walk for God's people. Checking my own heart, looking inward. I mean, there's so many things that are on the other side. The challenge is not there to keep you from something. It's there to get you to something. Amen. So rather than wanting a reroute around it, we need to endure through it. And let God work in us. Let him move in us. The thing we have to understand is that every challenge has a solution. Every challenge, you will never face a challenge in your life that cannot be solved. You'll never face something in your life that's so great that it can't be corrected. That there's not an answer for. There's an answer for every problem. There is a solution for every struggle. There is a victory for every battle. Come on. You got to believe that. You have not found the one problem God can't solve. (laughs) This is it. This is the one I'm not going to make it through. God, I found it. Here it is after 6,000 years. I finally found, and I know you've been here since eternity, and I know that there's no beginning, no, but I have found the one problem you will never figure out. I got it right here. This is the one. This is too great. This marriage is too far gone. These kids are way too crazy. This sickness is way too deep. The, the finances are way too in debt. I, there's no way you're going to get yourself out of this one. Let me see. Let me see you do it. No. Every challenge has a solution. It's a matter of what you focus on. You always end up where you focus. If you focus on the challenge, you remain at the challenge. If you focus on the answer, you'll find the answer. Every challenge has a solution. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Now, I know everyone wants to say they're looking for the solution, but there's steps to that, and we'll walk that out. But every challenge has a solution. And how you address the problem determines if you find the solution. 
How you address the problem determines if you find the solution. That's why James is telling us to count it all joy. Because if I address it in fear, I won't find the answer. If I address it in doubt, I won't find the answer. If I address it in, in anxiousness, in worry, I won't find the answer. But if I can address it with joy, if I can come to it with peace, if I can come to it with an understanding that God is faithful, God is greater, God is awesome, God is mighty, God has figured it out, God has solved it, and now I just need the, the Holy Spirit to clue me in on how to walk this. And now my approach changes my product. My approach, how I come to it, will dictate what I get out of it. I don't know about you. I want to come out of challenges, Kyle. I, I want to see answers to problems. I want to see solutions to struggles. But how I approach it, if I approach it like it's the end of the world, if I approach it like it's never going to get fixed, if I approach it like there's no answer, if I approach it like, like I'm, then, then you won't find the answer. It's in my approach that I discover the solution, how I approach it will determine whether I actually ever solve the problem. And the last thing I want you to see, we saw that there were just common water pots that were in the room. There was, there was a set, verse 6, of six water pots of stone. And then even the following statement clues us in a little more on just how common these things are. They were used for the manner of purification of the Jews. Nothing exciting, actually pretty disgusting. It's how you washed your hands and your feet when you entered a home. That's what that was there for. It's not there for any great use. It's not ornate. It's not kept away in some cabinet somewhere that never gets used. And the thing I want you to see is that sometimes to get what you need, you have to use what you have. To get what you need, you have to use what you have. We talked about it a little bit on Sunday. Jesus or God always starts with a what? With a seed. God is never going to ask you for something you don't have. God's never going to have you start in a place that you haven't made it to yet. If he's demanding it of you, guess what? That's the first indication. There's more in me than I thought. But then you've got to start looking around. All Jesus, I think, picture this. The mother of Mary, mother of, mother of Mary, mother of Jesus. Is that a Catholic thing or something? Man, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you where that came from. Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus. We have no wine. And something in her wording, something, you know, that, that's like, you know, moms have a way of, of saying things and they can, the way that they say it, you know what they're really trying to say. Like when my wife walks by and says, man, the sink's full of dishes. Get off your butt and help me do some dishes is what she's saying. 
That's what she's saying. She's not just, I'm not just, oh, yeah, I happen to notice that too. Glad you saw that. If I respond that way, it's going to be a problem. No, I know what she's really trying to say. So when he says, when, when, when she says, we have no wine, Jesus already knew. What do you want me to do about it? What are you asking me to do? What does your concern have to do with me? But then his next position was to just look around and say, okay. Um, and she already told the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. Whatever. Are you willing to do whatever? Are you willing to do whatever? Sometimes we need to tell God, whatever, as in whatever you say, I will do it. Because God will use whatever. God will use the stuff you overlook. God will use the stuff you treat as common. God will use the stuff you've become familiar with. And here's the thing, is when we're looking for the miraculous, we miss the mundane. When we're looking for the miraculous, we overlook the stuff that's right in front of us every single day. And I'm telling you right now, you would find out that what God is wanting to use in your life to bring about the miracle, to bring about the victory, to bring about the the solution, you have at least the starting point. You've got pots that you treat as common. You've got water. That's nothing like what you know it needs to be. But then you let God do the rest. We want it to turn to wine before we take it to the master. But it says that it turned to wine as they went to the master. No, your assurance is in a God you can't even see. What, what, what? What, what do you need to have tangibly in your hand to say, okay, now God is moving? No, no, you believe he's always moving. You start with the instruction he gives you. And I can promise you that the starting point of your instruction, the starting point of where God wants you to begin, the starting point, you know the outcome, you know the victory, but the starting point is gonna, be seem, is gonna seem so small, you will miss it. It's gonna seem so small, you'll overlook it. You'll seem, it'll seem so small, it'll feel like, how could this ever get me there? How could a shepherd boy ever get victory for Israel? And then you got to be weary not to pull a King Saul and say, well, you need to put on my armor. No, no, no. You need to walk in what you know you can do. Don't try to put on somebody else's armor. Don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to, you know, that, that, that's one thing as a pastor that I have to make clear when I go in these hospital rooms, when I'm meeting with people, I, I said, I need reality. I don't need the dressed up version. I don't need the faith-filled version because if you've been sitting in here cussing and and talking about how you're not gonna make it and full of doubt, and then I walk in, oh yeah, pastor, we got this, then I can't address the problem on the level that it really is. I'm having, you've got me way up here thinking that you're some faith giant, but the second I walk back out, I need reality. Where are we at? What do we believe in God for? How I can't hook up with you if I'm backing my truck up to something that, that, you, that you, I can't even connect with, no, 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 get me to where you're at. 
man, we're, 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 we're struggling. I mean, today's been a rough day. They've been coming. All right, here, here's the word. Here's where I can encourage you. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to counteract it. Because we're, we're, we're missing steps. We're skipping stuff trying to be something we're not. So I, I, I tell them every time, where are we at? People that know me, they know what I'm looking for, but sometimes I have to be a little more clear. Where are we at? Uh, we're at SGMC. Okay, faith-wise, where are we at? Because faith has levels. You look at the word of God, faith has levels. You all, we're all given a measure of faith. So that tells me right there, faith can be measured. But the Bible tells me faith can grow, faith can be strengthened, faith can be weakened. Right? Don't allow, don't allow your faith to be weakened. Mark chapter 11 says, believe in your heart. Uh, believe without doubting in your heart. So there, there's levels. We got to find the level that we're on. So we, that would be the same as me getting a trainer and saying, I want to increase my bench, my bench press. And the most that I know I can bench is 185. But to impress the trainer, uh, I'm up to 230, 235, yeah. I will kill myself and he can't do anything for me. No, let's tell us where you're at. I can't help you grow to where you need to be if I don't know where we're starting. But we got to know what we're working with. You got something in your hand. You've got common pots that have been neglected. You've, you've, you've got common tools, resources right around you. It might be a person. It might be a relationship you neglected. It might be a level of finance. You're thinking $20 can't do nothing. It, 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 it might be a job. It, it might be a, a, a generous favor. It, it might be more prayer time. I don't know. It, it could be anything, but it will seem so common and ordinary that you'll miss it if you don't open your eyes and see through the spirit and say, these pots are water containers but let's see what God can do with it. What containers are sitting right around you? And then you fill it up with whatever you have. I mean, think about those servants. And I love that it states in there, in parentheses, that the servants knew where it came from. The, the, the master had no idea where it came from, but if you go back to that verse, I think it's verse nine or verse 10, in parentheses, it says, but the servants knew. See, you'll know the behind the scenes. They don't need to know. God's gonna get the glory. People are gonna believe. That's the end result. The end result isn't your miracle. The end result is that God gets the glory and people believe. The end result is that God gets the glory and people believe. I was just talking with another individual today that's going through some struggle and, 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 and uh, there was another third party individual that was in, in, involved and, um, they've been, you know, walking away from the Lord and, uh, and, and, and then it just clicked for them. It said, maybe, maybe out of this, they will see that God is real. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be that the solution that God is looking for isn't just your miracle? 
but it's somebody else that's standing by, that's watching, that's gonna be impacted and influenced by it that you didn't even think about in the beginning. You'd be surprised how many times the miracles that God blesses us with and does for us really have little to do with us. And it's more about people that are around us that we weren't even thinking of. God, open up our eyes so that we can see what's around us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.